Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Brad Evans. If I hadn't met you, I'm pastor of Family Ministries, and I have the privilege to uh, walk us through a topic this morning on submission to authority. How many of you just get excited at that topic? And uh, you, uh, the word submission, you know, just gets you, gives you kind of warm and tingly feelings of uh, it's it's just exciting, isn't it? Uh, to uh, have, have that word brought to our, the forefront in a, a topic in a series on the life of Christ. And so we get the, the opportunity this morning to look at that and study, at that, study this. And there's a, actually a tremendous blessing when we say this on our lives. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. And we'll look at that here in just a little bit. But you may be wondering, you didn't see my name in the bulletin there. And Blake was to preach today, but Julie, they were up at uh, Julie's families uh, in Dallas this last week. Uh, Julie got a stomach bug and uh, it was not pleasant, I understand. And so they actually couldn't travel. So they're trying to make their way down from Dallas. So pray for Blake and Julie. And Blake especially uh, would appreciate your prayers that he and the twins don't catch what she has. So uh, let's remember them in our prayers. Well, what is this topic of submission? Um, Let me begin by asking this question. As you think about marks of spiritual maturity in an individual's life, as you think about those who are mature in their faith, those who are finishing well, those who are um, expressing Christ-likeness in their life, as you think about individuals that are pillars of the faith, what qualities or characteristics come to your mind? What are some of the things about that person that makes you want to be like them? Or you say, you know, that individual, I really see Christ's likeness in them. What are, what are some of them? Give me some feedback here. What are some of the things, some, some of the character qualities, some of the, the traits that as we look at individuals uh, and their, how they live their lives, uh, that they, they just stand out? What are some of them? Humility. Humility. Yeah, didn't we talk about that last week here? Was that the topic here? Humility? Anybody here last week? <laughs> okay, I, I believe Matt preached, because I think he's preaching at Anderson this week on humility. I've been out on spring break too, so uh, I believe that was a topic. So someone that shows humility. Excellent. What else? Perseverance. Perseverance. Someone that finishes well. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Caring, someone that cares for others, someone that shows compassion for others. What are the qualities? Teachability. Teachability. Yeah, that's a big one. We want our kids to be teachable, don't we? <laughs> we want our kids to have soft hearts, and we need to be teachable, Matt. Good. What else? Confidence. confidence? What do you mean by that? Keeping a confidence? Confidentiality? Yeah, we want to be People that can be trusted, that uh, when something is shared with us, it stays right here. What other qualities? As you think about Christ's likeness, as you think about this mature individual, what do you think about? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, hopefully. Don, he's a quick learner, you know? Don knows me well, and I uh, whispered that, uh, if nobody says it, Don... No. That's... Pay you 10 bucks. Submission to authority is a big one. 
Let me mention a couple of others. I'm going I'm to end with that one. But uh, a couple of others here that I see. Um, uh, conflict resolution. I think some of the real marks of maturity in, in an individual is a willingness to resolve conflict. And many Christians don't do that well. And that's a whole other sermon for another time. But uh, the willingness to ask forgiveness, the willingness to seek forgiveness, the willingness to forgive, that's, that's huge. Conflict resolution. Uh, another one, uh, as I think about, is uh, how we respond to trials. We live in a fallen world. Trials will come our way. How do I respond to the trials that come my way? Do I get angry? Do I get bitter? Do I respond um, with joy? And I think this topic of submission also fits in to that. And the last one, as, as I was going to mention, and thank you, Don, is, is submission to authority. I think that's a, a tremendous mark of maturity in the life of a believer. And it's, you see someone finishing well in life, I think uh, you're going to see this trait. I think you're going to see Christ-likeness emulated in their willingness to submit to Christ's authority in their lives as well as earthly authority that God has sovereignly placed over their lives. An unwillingness to submit to Christ's lordship and unwillingness to submit to earthly authority has huge ramifications as well in the negative sense. So this topic is, is very, very important to us. And as we look at this series on the life of Christ, let's look at um, how Christ modeled it and some of the things that he did. Let me ask this other question even before we jump there. Um, do any of you have someone in your life and maybe even someone in authority that just kind of grates on you? Do, do any of you have a, a, a boss that, I mean, that man or woman just gets under your skin? Or do any of you have a parent or had a parent that, I mean, you just kind of feel this churning inside of you when you think of this individual? Uh, do any of you have a spouse that uh, it's a little bit challenging to submit in this area. Of course, none of you in this room would, would have that happening, but uh, I've heard of couples that struggle in this area. We all have someone that uh, just bugs the stink out of us sometimes, that uh, gets to us. I love this country preacher. His name's Jack Taylor. I've got a... Um, A tape, not a CD, a tape. It's an old tape of his. And um, he has this line in there that I just uh, just love. Because it helps put in perspective how God has a sense of humor in the people he places in authority over us for a purpose. And he called this uh, God's fixin' purpose. God's fixing to fix you. Now, now, do you know what the word fixing means? Are we okay there? Do we need to do a little country etymology on fixing? It means God is preparing to do something. God is going to, uh, something is about to happen. I'm fixing to go to the store. Okay, so God is fixing to fix you. By fixing you, it means he, the process of sanctification, of, of conforming us to Christ. So God is fixing to fix you. 
But if you try to fix the fix he's fixing to fix you with, he'll find another fix to fix you until you let the fix he's fixed for you fix you. Did you follow that? In other words, God is sovereign and just maybe, just maybe, that individual, that person you thought of, it just, I mean, you just great at, at having to be under their authority. Maybe that's part of God's plan because he wants to fix us and he wants to change us into Christ's likeness. And he's going to use that individual to cause us to be willing to submit to authority. Sometimes even authority that uh, we may not like, we may not agree with. Sometimes individuals that are challenging. Sometimes individuals that aren't the most spirit-filled. He asks us to, to submit to. So let's look at this. Thy will be done. I got a little acrostic here uh, using the word submit. And I want to begin down here. I, I had this on down the list, but uh, it's kind of hard to put Christ way down the list here. So um, in terms of the order of the acrostic, it doesn't come out perfectly because really we got to begin by looking at how Christ submitted to authority. So in terms of this, this little acrostic submit, let's look at Christ. Let's look at his life and let's look at how he submitted to authority. I'd like for you to turn and I'm going to ask you to look at a number of passages here that we're going to look at. So uh, hang on to your Bibles. We're going to be doing a lot of flipping through uh, passages here. We'll have a little Bible drill. Um, let's look first at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see the order of the resurrection and we see Christ and we see chapter 15. If anyone asks you, what is the gospel? You turn to First Corinthians 15 and it talks about how Christ in verse 4 was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And it talks about the essence of the gospel. But we get down and we look at the order of Christ and how God has placed order in this world. And if you look at um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse, beginning in verse 27, it's talking about, it says, God, he is referring to God, has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now he's talking about Christ. God's put all things on this earth in subjection under his feet. In verse 28, and when all things were subject, subjected to him, then the Son himself also, we will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. Who's the one? That's God the Father. So it's, we're seeing order in the Trinity. That in the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And even in the Trinity, we have the order of the Son is to come under subjection to the Father. The Father has given authority to the Son, the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. So we see that Jesus Christ himself was placed in submission to God the Father. Next, I'd like for you to look at Christ's life, his earthly life as, as a young boy. I'd like for you to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. In Luke chapter 2, we see a snapshot of Christ's young life. We don't have a lot in the Gospels about Christ as a young boy, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, we have this great story of how uh, uh, Mary and Joseph 
were taking uh, their family and they went along with a caravan to Jerusalem and uh, to uh, perform the Feast of the Passover. And while they were there, somehow, you know, there's a big crowd. They get separated from Jesus. And, and uh, Jesus now, he's probably, he's around 12, 13 years old. And um, they're, they're leaving. They're on their way home. They get a day's journey away and they realize, where's Jesus? He's gone. So they go back and looking for him. Any of you ever had that sensation or, or that reality where you can't find your kid? I mean, that's, that's a pretty scary thing, isn't it? I remember losing Rachel in the mall when she was about four years old. And we spent, how long, Susan? 30 minutes, an hour? But it seemed like 10 hours. We couldn't find her. And so they're looking for Jesus. And they spent three days looking for him. And when they find him, he's in the temple. And he's um, talking with the, the, the religious leaders. And he, they were amazed at uh, his, his ability to reason with him and his understanding and his answers. And so uh, they came, come to him in verse 48, 49. He said to it, why is it you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had been in my father's house? And so, you know, what would it have been like to have been Jesus's parents? You know, we, to have a perfect child. I mean, that must have been challenging in and of itself. I mean, that he never sinned. And so um, here he is and they're looking for him and they find him. But look at in verse 51. Uh, this is very, um, very important. And, and he, Christ, went down with them. So down from Jerusalem, you, you would go up to Jerusalem. He went down. He, they were going home. So he went down and he came to Nazareth, Nazareth and he continued in, in what to them? He continued in subjection to his parents. Jesus is God, but on earth... He was in subjection to earthly authority. He was in subjection to his parents. And he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, what she had seen. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So as we talk about imitating Christ, Christ came under subject, is under subjection to the Father. He was also under subjection to earthly authority, to his parents that had, had uh, been um, given as he was raised in, in their home. Uh, next, let's look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the, the ministry of Christ. And we see Christ now, he has come on the scene and, and John has said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus has called his disciples and he's performed, been, began performing miracles. The first was turning uh, water into wine. Um, he um, talks to Nicodemus in, in John 3. In John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He goes to the, uh, uh, travels to Galilee and, and he meets a woman, uh, a Samaritan woman at the well. And so he talks with her about living water. And he, he says, uh, talks about true worship. He says, I'm the, I'm the living water. And the disciples had gone away to get some food. And they came back. And in John 4, verse 33, they were amazed, first of all, that he was talking to this woman. And, and they were kind of freaked out by that. And they didn't see the big picture of what he was doing, that he was sharing the truth, that uh, who he was. And so in verse 33, the disciples were saying to one another, 
no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Because he talks about the food that he has you don't know about. It's like, hey, did somebody slip Jesus a granola bar here? Where do you, where do you get this food? Because we went away to have food and get him some food. And he says he has some. He's talking about spiritual food. But in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is here, his food, his role in life, what he was to do was to do the will of the one who sent him. Namely, his father had sent him to do the work. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's what he was doing. He was doing the will, the work of the father. Now flip over to John chapter 5, verse 30. We see some, there's some healings that take place. Uh, Jesus is now beginning to teach on who he is. And the Pharisees get very upset with him about that. And he's talking about the resurrection and the resurrections to come. And in John chapter 5, verse 27, we see that he, God, gave him Christ authority to execute judgment. So Christ had authority. God had given him authority. But down in verse 30, we read, Christ's statement that I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony. And he goes on and talks and shares with him about who he is and his testimony and the witness of John the Baptist. But Jesus, Jesus is God. But he's teaching his disciples and he's teaching us that he did nothing on his own initiative, of his own will. He was in subjection to, submission to the Father. And uh, he only did what the Father who sent him instructed him to do. And so this word will is a key word in John. And you trace it through Christ's life and you see how Christ existed to do the will of the Father. The next little snapshot I'd like for us to look at is over in John chapter 6, verse 38. John 6, 38. Now we see Jesus and he's teaching to the people, to the multitudes. And he's teaching them more about who he is and why he's here. And he's teaching them, he says, I am the bread of life. And unless you eat of this bread, you will not see, you will not have eternal life. Unless you experience a relationship with me. And so he's talking now in a section on how the Father has given some to him, some, some people, and Christ is calling them to himself. In verse 30, 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Here it is, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. Great verse on eternal security. Once we come to Christ, place our faith in Christ, receive forgiveness of our sin, we receive eternal life. Christ loses none of us. We are eternally secure. But I raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father. There it is again, the will. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. What a promise we have as believers that when we believe in Christ, we have eternal life. And Christ will raise us up with him on the last day. 
Another passage, look at Matthew 26. Now I'd like to fast forward to the end of Christ's life. And in Matthew 26, John's gospel doesn't record this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Christ is um, struggling in, in prayer over what's to come. He's um, been with his disciples now for about three years. And he's been in the upper room and he's had the, the Last Supper with his disciples He's instituted the Lord's Supper. And in verse 36, uh, Jesus took them in Matthew 26, 36. Jesus took them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so he took a few of his chosen disciples. He took Peter and and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be grieved, and he began to be distressed. And Christ in his humanity was really struggling with what was to come and the will that the Father had for him. And is, God, is there any other way? Is there, is there a plan B, God? Do you ever struggle with God's will? Do you ever struggle with wondering, can I do this? Or wondering what God's will is? Jesus did. Jesus struggled with, with not wondering what God's will is. I mean, he knew. It was clear to him. He was, he was God. He knew why he was there. But in verse 38, he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch for me. So pray for me. And so he went alone. And he's talking to the Father, and he has this time of intimacy with the Father and the Son. And Jesus is is talking to his dad, the Father. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face, praying, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, now here it is, this is the key, not as I will, but as thou will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we all say amen. We understand that. Verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. Okay, thy will be done. Christ, in his prayer time, in his in the time of intimacy with his Father, said, okay, God, okay, let's, let's do this. I understand you're calling me to die and to be crucified because I came as the Redeemer for your people to seek and to save that, that, was, that which was lost. Okay. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Did he do it? Yeah, he did it. He went to the cross. He died. A horrible death. Horrible death. He was taken down from the cross, placed in a grave, in a tomb. But on the third day, he was raised. He conquered death. He was resurrected. And that's the power of our Christian faith, the belief that eternal life comes through Jesus. And we, in believing in Him, identify with His death and burial, but also His resurrection as we've been given new life in Christ. Not my will, but thy will be done. John 17. 
I love this. It's a great life mission passage as we think about why we're here and will we finish well. And in John 17, 3 and 4, um, Christ in the high priestly prayer, speaking to his disciples. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Christ finished what God asked him to do. He accomplished the work. So we need to imitate Christ. And as he submitted to the Father, we need to submit to God. And as we, he submitted to earthly authority, we also need to submit. So what is submission? We talked about this a little bit when I was here and uh, doing a family series. And we uh, got into the S word a little bit in the role of husbands and roles of husbands and wives. And we looked at Ephesians uh, chapter 5. In fact, if you're doing the um, home church study um, tonight in, in our home church uh, leaders meeting, we'll be talking about this section on, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about being filled with the Spirit because we can't pull this off on our own. It's the controlling verb. But then to submit to one another as unto the Lord. And then it talks about um, uh, wives submit to husbands. And it talks about how the church is to uh, submit to Christ. And it talks about how children are submit to um, parents and, and, and servants to submit to masters in the workplace. So, but what is it? It, it's, it doesn't mean that we're inferior uh, in terms of um, uh, relating to the body of Christ. No more Jews or Gentiles, slave nor free in Galatians 3. doesn't mean that we lose our identity uh, each person is still unique. We still have our own personality, our gifts and talents. In marriage, relationship, and that was the context where we talked about this, it doesn't mean that we don't have any input in decisions. A wise husband is going to ask his, his, his wife. It doesn't mean that we compromise biblical convictions. Um, we're going to talk about this in a minute. What if you have a boss that's unethical and he's asking you to do something? And do you submit to a, an unethical boss and break the law? Um, absolutely not. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And submission is not this blanket thing that uh, we're to do no matter what. Um, so what is submission? What it is, it's the Greek word hupotasso. Hupo means under. Tasso, to order, fix, or appoint. And it means to submit, to give up our own rights, our own will, um, to yield what, not my will, but thy will be done. And so that's um, biblically what the primary Greek word for submission means. And uh, I want to look a little bit for, uh, at how it's used. But in the New Testament, as we see this Greek word, submission, and, in, and as you look in Ephesians 5, this book on, or Ephesians, the book on the church, we see how powerful um, this word becomes. And as we're filled with the Spirit and we mutually submit one to another uh, to, as unto the Lord, then in the body of Christ, this brings unity. When, there's, when we're not submitting one to another and we're not submitting to earthly authority, then we're... In sin, we're carnal. And that creates disunity in the body. It creates disunity in the home. It creates disunity among the family of God. And let's look at some examples of submission here. Some examples, we have the Great Commission. Christ said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
So we see uh, a delegated authority that has been given from God to Jesus Christ. It's been given to us to make disciples of all nations. We see that Jesus Christ submits to God. Um, we uh, looked at that in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. We see that the church submits to Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And so we as a church are to come under his headship and to submit to him. And the elders and, and leaders of this church are to submit to Jesus Christ. This is Christ's church. And the moment this stops becoming Christ's church, then we need to walk out the door and find a church where Christ is the head and, and to submit and, and, and the leadership submits to Christ. Uh, we're to submit to Christ as an act of discipleship in Luke 14, 26, 27. Christ says to take up your cross and to follow me. And so submission is an act of discipleship to yield my rights and to follow Jesus Christ and to be willing to do what he asked me to do in my life, to go wherever he wants me to go, to do whatever he wants me to do, to say whatever he wants me to say. It's an act of obedience and following the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to submit to one another. We've already talked about that. We're to submit to parents. We're to submit to employers. We're to submit to civil authorities. Romans 13 talks about this. 1 Peter 2, verse 13. We're to submit to authority that God has placed over us in in government. We're also to submit to our elders, to those in authority in the church. And that's why in the church... We uh, exhort you, we ask you to pray for those in leadership, those who have been placed in authority, so that we will submit to Christ, so that the elders will hear the voice of God and, and be wise in making decisions and be wise in leading the, the church. So God has a plan of delegating authority and a plan of order, and um, it's exemplified Uh, through a number of these examples. Back to this little acrostic here on submit. uh, The S stands for sacrifice my pride because, see, I don't want to submit. Can any of you relate to that? My flesh wants to be in control. My flesh wants to do my own thing. My flesh wants to stamp its... My foot, feet, how many do I have? Two, I guess. Uh, Stamp one of my feet, maybe both of them, and say, no, I want to do my thing. I want to go my own way. I don't want to submit. And so, again, God's got a fix to fix us, and he's going to bring along people or situations to break us so that that we will um, come to the place where we'll yield, where we will surrender our rights, where we will die to ourselves, and be reminded it's not about me, it's about glorifying God. Great passage on this is James. If you're doing the um, men and women's Bible study uh, or a, a couple study, then you're studying James this semester in James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. This is a great passage on sacrificing my pride and being willing to submit. In James chapter 4, verse 6, we read, God gives a greater grace. God is opposed to the proud. That's not, that's not good. If we're proud, if we're resistant, you know, if we're fighting, 
coming under the Lord's submission, uh, submitting to uh, the, the, the Lordship of Christ or submitting to earthly authority um, or, or submitting to God. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And here it is. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, why is that there? Submit to God, resist the devil. Because there's a spiritual warfare going on. And if I don't submit to God and I don't yield my life to him, then I give Satan an inroad and um, uh, bad things can happen. So submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable. Well, don't you love that? Be miserable. Go be miserable. Be miserable and mourn. He's talking about be, being broken as we, as in this process of submitting. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Someone talked about humility a moment ago. Sacrifice my pride. Be humble. Submission involves acknowledging that God is my creator. He's my sovereign. He's my sustainer. He's my redeemer. He's my justifier. And I'm not just here for me. It's not about me. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Would you do that right now? Turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, it's not about you. Okay? Yeah, don't, didn't that feel good? Um, it's not about me. It's not about me getting my way. Not my will be done. But thy will be done. We exist to bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to sacrifice our pride. Second, understand God's plan. Sacrifice my pride. Understand God's plan. And there are many verses and passages that talk about that. This is God's plan and this is His Design and desire for us in uh, submitting to authority that God has given for us. So, okay, so that was understanding God's plan. He has a plan, He has uh, people, He has uh, earthly authority. We're to submit to heavenly authority. We're, we're to be humble, we're to humble ourselves before God. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5. And we see how Christ demonstrated this. And he is fully God, but he became man. And we're to have this attitude in ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and gave him the name, which is above every name, that the name of Jesus. Wow. The name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ humbled himself and he modeled that humility for us. And we need to humble ourselves and uh, be willing to, uh, to die to self. And uh, again, it's not about me. The chief end of man, glorify God and enjoy Him 
forever. So submit. I'm to sacrifice my own pride. I'm to put it on the altar. I'm to understand God's plan and and understand His word and, and His will for my life. I'm to be humble. I'm to maintain joy as I um, submit to God and I submit to earthly authority. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice in spite of circumstances, in spite of feelings. God can give us supernaturally the ability to, um, to rejoice and experience joy. I really think this is one of the, the, the signs that I am submitting to the Lord in a way that's bringing Him honor and glory is when I'm, even if I'm struggling, I'm experiencing supernaturally His joy um, as I walk through this. Um, you know, one of the things I, I observe and, and one of the things I've found in working with men, and uh, ladies, I think this may be true of you some, somewhat, but uh, I, I notice this especially with men. Men who have issues with their earthly father. Men who grew up in a home where their father was maybe somewhat rough on them or didn't affirm them or was domineering really, really struggle with this issue of submission. I've seen that so many times. I've seen it in my own life. Okay, I had a great dad. Taught me to work, raised me on the farm, and uh, there's so much that he instilled within me. But... Uh, I grew up, and it took me about 20 years of my adult life to work through this issue because I found that while Dad taught me to work hard and there's a lot of things Dad did right, there are some issues there that, as a young boy, I just pushed under and I found myself getting angry and I found myself suppressing some of these things. And you know what? God in His sovereignty had a fix. He, he wanted to fix me, so He placed people in authority over me that punched my buttons. You know what I'm talking about? That punched buttons that dad punched. And it took me, I'm, not, I'm, I'm serious, probably 20 years of my adult life to even figure out what was going on. That it's not about this situation. I'm hitting play button right here and I'm going back to stuff that I never really dealt with as a kid. And so if you have issues like this, if you have issues with, of struggling with your dad, your dad may even be dead and gone. But until you deal with those, until you really come before the Lord, and it may take some counseling, it may take some uh, friends to really help you understand this, but you're not going to be able to move forward with, with joy and su- submit to earthly authority and to submit to heavenly authority and to be used by God in the way and the design he has for you. Remember I talked about this is one of the real marks of maturity in the life of a believer. And the ones that don't get there are the ones that don't deal with this issue in their life. And they, and they still, they can be 50, 60, 70 year old men or women and they've got daddy issues and they haven't dealt with it. And so they chafe under God's authority and they chafe under human authority. And so... This is a, a, a very, very important issue. It's also pretty humbling for those of us who are fathers that as we think about raising our children that we do show so and we pass on the, the, the loving side of God and the, and the compassion and, and um, we love our children well and parent them well because we're imprinting 
our kids fathers. And uh, it's a pretty humbling thing, isn't it? So in terms of submit, I need to sacrifice my pride. I need to understand God's plan. I need to be humble. I need to maintain joy in my life. That's a real marker. Is, is that happening in my life? I need to imitate Christ. We've already talked about Christ and how he modeled uh, submitting to the Father. Last, I need to take a step of faith. I need to um, step out. And sometimes I believe uh, God will honor us as we do this and, and grow us and bless us. And even if we don't feel like it, even if we don't fully understand it, to take a step of faith in this area and be willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be willing to submit to the earthly authority that God has placed over us. Um, Ruth is a great example of this. She asked Boaz to place the covering of protection over her and came under Boaz's authority. And as we see her doing that, we see God's protection for her and God's blessing for her. And as we submit to God and as we submit to those in authority God has placed over us, there's tremendous blessing uh, that will come along with that. Sometimes we need to, to, to step out and um, take a step of faith in this area. I love the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. There's a, the third stanza, Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, I will be ever only all for thee. This is a great hymn of asking God to take our life and consecrate it to him and take our will, our hands and our feet and give it to him. Give it to Christ. What about some challenging situations? What about in a marriage where you have an unbelieving spouse or you have a critical spouse or you have a spouse that's not meeting your needs? Are you still called to submit to that person? Well, 1 Peter 3 talks about that. And yes, and that's how we are to um, win them even without a word, it talks about. Now, what if there's abuse going on? uh, That's a whole different story. And, uh, you know, that's when you need to get out. You need to physically remove yourself. And so there are exceptions in terms of submission, even in marriage, where there's... um, dynamics or where there's unfaithfulness and if you have an issue that you have a question about I'd be glad to talk to you or talk to your small group leader or an elder but um, we can be in some challenging situations sometimes um, in marriage or what about at the workplace what about your boss that is just again grating on you that's very difficult what do you do well I think far too often we hit the eject button we bail out and God wants us to to stay the course and to submit to them. And, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have a job and you're in college or in grad school and you're going to be looking someday, this is a, one of the traits that an, an employer is really looking for, is so your willingness to submit to authority. Now, again, if you're uh, in a situation where you're, you have an unethical boss and, and they're asking you to, to break the law, then there, we have a higher law, and that's to obey the law of Christ and to um, obey Him. What about parents? I get asked this a lot with college students. Do I still have to do what my parents tell me to do? I'm in college now, and my response is, if they're still footing the bill, uh, you're still to obey them, and you're still to um, respond to them. 
Now, what about when you get out on your own and you've, uh, you know, you become married? There's a little phrase in there called leave and cleave in, in Genesis 2. Then you establish a new household. And that oh, children obey your parents is not applicable. Now it's, you're still called to respect your parents and to honor your parents lifelong. But uh, you are now out from under your parents in terms of obeying them. Um, What about in the church? Um, um, Some of us maybe have been in a church that there was some overbearing leadership. And we have people that come to us that have been hurt and they've been burned. And they come uh, licking their wounds. And um, I'd say in general, in a church setting, that we need to, to submit to the authority that's given to us. But sometimes if they're not submitting to to Christ and, and heavenly authority, then it's, then it's time to leave. But uh, those can be some challenging situations. What about in government? I saw a great bumper sticker the other day. It said, pray for President Obama. Pray for President Obama. We're instructed to pray for kings and those in authority over us. Do you pray for our president? Do I pray for those in authority? Do we pray for our, our mayor? Do we pray for those in authority over us? We should. To wrap it all up, what's the big idea here? The big idea in terms of submission is pretty much to do what I'm told. To do what I'm told to do, joyfully and respectfully. There are exceptions, but we're to come under the authority of God and come under earthly authority. And to do do what we're told. Um, in wrapping up, some applications here. I, I cannot emphasize enough uh, this book, Tale of Three Kings. It's by Gene Edwards, and um, this is on my top five books. This book has helped me more than any other resource work through issues of submission to authority, even when authority sometimes is unfair and uh, This is a tremendous book on brokenness. It's a story of uh, Saul, David, and Absalom. Tale of Three Kings by Eugene Edwards. Got to read that book. Second, am I submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life? Am I in submission to Him? Third, heart check. How's my attitude? How am I doing? Fourth, how well am I submitting to those God has placed in authority over me? Some of the different realms of relationships that we've, asked, we, we've talked about. How well am I submitting to them? And last, to pray for our leaders. To pray, and really to pray for all of those um, in authority over us. All earthly authority that we pray and um, we spend time asking God to um, move in their hearts and asking God to give us teachability and a willingness to, to, to obey and come under God-given authority in our lives. And as we talk about prayer, let's close um, in prayer together. Father, we love you and we thank you for uh, an opportunity to study your word this morning and to deal with a a topic that is uh, challenging for us, but is one in which uh, you're very clear. And thank you for the way Christ you modeled submitting to God the Father, and you did nothing without His initiative and instruction to you. Uh, We pray, Father, that that will be seen in us, and we will finish the work that you've asked us to do. I pray, Father, that we as a congregation will submit one to another as unto the Lord, filled with your Spirit, and that will bring unity to the body and uh, encouragement to others as they look in and see this body of Christ and see us 
is the way we relate to one another. Lord, I pray that for anyone here who's in a, a difficult situation, a difficult marriage or a difficult working situation or where there's a, a, a parent uh, that's, that's challenging, I just pray, Father, that you would do a work in their lives and you would give us all soft hearts and we'd be willing to hear what you're telling us in terms of how we should relate to them and submit to them. And, uh, but sometimes when it's uh, time to move on, we need wisdom in those situations. So, Father, we do pray for our elders, our leaders, those who have been placed in authority over the Grace Bible Church. We pray for them for, for wisdom and guidance and direction, that their walks with you would be pure and holy and they would hear your voice, and that we as a congregation will come under their authority and submit joyfully to them. We pray for our government. We pray for um, those you've placed uh, sovereignly in authority in our country. We uh, pray for President Obama and and his staff and and, uh, senators and representatives and all in in our government, Lord, that they would hear your voice and they would uh, submit to your leadership. They will um, acknowledge your word as as your authority and that we will um, see you move in their lives and and in a powerful way, we pray for them. We thank you for this time, and uh, most of all, we thank you again that we can come to you, and we can uh, call you Father, and we have such a, a privileged place of intimacy and honor with you as your children. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.